Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. Scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron Addison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And no, my voice normally doesn't sound like this. Uh, I am actually losing my voice. So, but we're going to make it through together today, okay? Um, so, uh, so let's dive in. Have you, um, have you ever taken a spiritual gifts assessment before online? Uh, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you are very lucky. Um, so spiritual gifts assessments were like all the rage, right? And it's kind of an interesting thing because... It tries to help you find out what your spiritual gifts are if you don't know. And one of the things that's weird about it is really it just tells you the definition of the spiritual gift back without using the word. So if you're gifted in teaching, it asks, instead of, are you gifted in teaching? Are you gifted in giving a lesson to other people where they learn stuff? And you're like, yes. They're like, you have the gift of teaching. Congratulations, which is just weird. Um, The other thing is I've never really seen them do a good job with things like healing or prophecy or miracles or tongues. Like, how do you assess for things like that? Uh, How do you do that? It's just so weird. But, um, But those things are kind of this weird mix of like Christian personality tests and the five love languages all kind of mixed together. It has a similar feel to it. Um, And it just, it leaves a lot to be desired. And for the last several months, we have been going through the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we finally reached this new section where Paul shifts, and he's going to start talking about spiritual gifts, what they are, how they work in the church. And Andrew did a great job last week of unpacking what they are, some misconceptions around them. And there's a key verse that we're going to come back to again and again and again over the next several weeks. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And this is really important because it really defines what spiritual gifts are for us. Spiritual gifts are the ways that the spirit of God manifests his presence in the church. 
And each gift is really given to build up the body and promote the common good. And so this is important because spiritual gifts are not so much a platform for our skills or our spirituality as much as it's a way that we love and serve the people around us. So in our text today, Paul lists out nine spiritual gifts. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next two weeks, and we're just going to unpack what these gifts are. Um, and so we're going to spend three, uh, we're going to talk about three gifts uh, today. Next week, we're going to talk about three. And then we're going to save three for another time. We're going to say prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues for another time, because Paul actually spends a whole chapter diving in and explaining those gifts further. So we're going to save those for later. Uh, but as we talked about, spiritual gifts have a lot of misunderstandings around them. We're prone to misunderstand them in our church culture. So before we kind of dive into a few gifts today, I want to give some clarifying points that I think will help set up our time today. So first thing is that spiritual gift lists are not exhaustive. Spiritual gift lists are not exhaustive. So in this chapter, we have nine spiritual gifts that are listed. Uh, other lists appear in other places of Scripture. So, for instance, there's a list in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, which is hilarious because he just basically says there's two kinds of gifts and makes it really simple, and another list later on in this same chapter in 1 Corinthians 12. And here's the fascinating thing. No two lists are exactly the same. No two lists are the same. So of the nine gifts that we have listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, only one of those is mentioned in Romans 12, which is the other big long list that we have. Only prophecy is mentioned in both places. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, the two lists we have, the second list adds two gifts that weren't mentioned in the first list. So the second list adds helping in administration. So in other words, here's the point. These gifts aren't meant to be exhaustive. They're not meant to lay out every single gift that there could be. Like there's some like magic number or certain buckets that we have to put everything in. Instead, Paul is simply just listing out, here are the most common ways the Holy Spirit is manifesting his presence among you, right? He's, he's writing to people, to a church. And in this letter, he's probably thinking, of specific people and the specific gifts that they have, the ways that God's spirit was showing his presence among them. And he's mentioning those things that were commonly seen in those churches. In fact, it could be assumed that there are other gifts that aren't even listed in scripture at all because, again, our overriding thing, these are ways the spirit manifests his presence to build up the church. So second thing, the clarifying point, spiritual gifts broadly overlap. And this is really important. So sometimes when we approach these gifts, we kind of do it with a certain rigidity to them, like having very clear lines between them. But if you just pull back and are honest, there's a lot of ways that these gifts overlap and the meanings are not super clear. So for instance, what exactly constitutes teaching versus exhortation? Like how is that different? Or how do we know the difference between a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge? And how is that different from a prophetic word? Uh, why is healing considered its own gift instead of just a miracle that happens? Um, again, these questions kind of lead me to suggest that they're not always clear divisions between these gifts. 
In a lot of cases, like today, we're going to see that with all the gifts that we're looking at today, um, sometime even the way that we understand the gift or the definition of the gift can be really ambiguous. And, uh, and again, the point is not to, uh, the point's not to fit into some neat definition, but to recognize, hey, there are many ways the Holy Spirit manifests his presence for the common good. So there's going to be some times where there's overlap in these things. There's going to be some times where it's like, hey, I might call it this, you might call it something else, but we're really pointing to the same way that the Spirit is moving and working. All right, third and last clarifying point before we dive in. Spiritual gifts can be either circumstantial or permanent. Circumstantial or permanent. Now, there could be other better terms for this, but this is the best thing I could come up with this week to try to describe this idea. And here's what I mean. Some gifts are what we might call circumstantial gifts. And what those are are gifts given for a specific occasion or situation. And they're completely subject to the timing of God's will, to the timing of the Spirit. So, for instance... I've seen many times uh, God give a gift of healing. Someone prays for healing over somebody, and God uses them and gives in that moment a gift of healing for that person. So the question is, the person who prayed and uh, stuff, do they have the gift of healing now? Can they just show up at a doctor's office and start healing people? Like, is that how that works? Well, no, that's not really quite how the gift functions. In fact, a lot of times someone may pray for healing God gives that gift, and then that person prays and never really sees anything like that happen again in their life. Um, other, for other people, maybe God does regularly heal through them, but almost I've never seen anyone who actually goes around and just at will is healing people. Like, that's just not how it works. Instead, the gift is completely dependent on God moving, completely dependent on God actually giving a gift in that situation in that moment. And that's what we mean by circumstantial. It means it's like if you have the gift of healing, it's not like you're like heal, 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 heal. It's like you're praying for God to move in that circumstance. And sometimes he does that. And sometimes he doesn't. Other gifts are what we might call permanent gifts. And these are gifts that stay with us and we can operate them at will. So teaching is a perfect example for this, right? So I believe I've been gifted to teach today. And by that, what I don't mean is I sat uh, on the side of the stage this morning, prayed, God dropped a sermon into my lap, uh, and, uh, and then God took over my body and just started teaching through me. Like, that's not how it worked. Instead, I prepared, I crafted a sermon, I thought through ideas, I studied, I wrote notes, I did all of those things. And really teaching is, I, I have some level of uh, will over it to where I can decide to teach or not teach. And that functions very differently than say the gift of healing where we're fully dependent on God to come in that moment. So it's more of a permanent gift that like resides with me that I can then use either for the glory of God or not for the glory of God. And so whether circumstantial or permanent, all of these gifts are empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so these circumstantial gifts, a lot of times we see them as like, these are like more miraculous or something like that. And really uh, the way Paul and everyone talks about them is like, these are just all empowered miraculously, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, whether uh, it's given for a certain circumstance or whether it stays with us and we can use. All right, so those are some clarifying points. Um, now we're gonna dive in and look at three gifts out of this list of nine, three gifts that we're gonna look at together. 
messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, and distinguishing spirits. And in fact, I'm going to cheat and put two of them together. So we're going to look at messages of wisdom and knowledge together as one. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Let's just pause here. Utterance is a weird word. Can we all just admit that? Um, So it's not like this is a bad translation, but I've never once in my entire life used the word utterance just naturally. Um, I didn't say, I have an utterance I would like to give you. Um, So that's just not a word we use. The Greek word here is logos, which is actually just the word for word and often means message. It's just something you speak. It's just a message. Um, And so this is just saying this is a word or message of wisdom, a word or message of knowledge. So have you ever met people who seem to have like a unique insight into your life? And what I mean is they like, it's almost like they knew things about you that you tried to keep hidden. Like the, they, it's like they read your mail or they knew your thoughts almost. And, uh, and one of the greatest preachers to ever live was Charles Spurgeon. And he recounts moments regularly in his preaching where he had this insight into people. And in fact, in one story, he describes uh, preaching one day, and he just all of a sudden stops his sermon, and he points at someone out in the crowd. And uh, he points at this young man, and he says, young man, those gloves you're wearing have not been paid for. You've stolen them from your employer. And he just stops and he just points out and he just states this. Now, can you imagine me doing that right now? Just being like, you, that shirt you have on, that is stolen. Uh, You need to pay money for those things. Like, uh, that would just be bizarre. But that's what he says he actually regularly did. He had those moments where he pointed that out and had some insight and knowledge. And afterwards in this story, it says he actually came up and was like, I'm sorry, this is the first time I ever did this. Don't tell my mom. She'd kill me if she found out that I stole from somebody. Um, and, and how did this happen? Well, this seems to be what, uh, what Paul is talking about here with a message of wisdom and knowledge where God gives this insight, this clarity into a situation, and sometimes that even includes supernaturally revealing something that you didn't know. It's like something comes to mind that you didn't know. You have no idea. Charles Spurgeon had no idea that that guy had actually stolen something, but God brought this knowledge to mind that he then spoke out to him and said, hey, God sees this, and God knows. Now, admittedly, There is disagreement among scholars on really how to define this gift. And you're going to find that with a lot of these gifts because really the text that we read doesn't really have a lot of information to it, does it? He's like, hey, some of you have a gift of a message of wisdom. That's literally all he says about it. And you're like, I don't know what that means. He doesn't help us. He, he really doesn't. Um, and so because of that, there's a lot of different opinions. In fact, I read so many commentaries and almost everyone disagreed on what, uh, what messages of wisdom actually are. And part of the problem is messages of wisdom is only mentioned uh, here with no context. Um, messages of knowledge is mentioned in a couple other places in 1 Corinthians, but also with little to no explanation. And so the way we define this gift is 
often going to come down to whether we see this gift as circumstantial or permanent, like I was talking about earlier. So if you see the gift as circumstantial, then a message of wisdom or knowledge is when God supernaturally reveals some unknown wisdom and knowledge for a certain situation, like what I was talking about with Charles Spurgeon. Maybe you're talking to someone and a name pops into your mind. Or maybe you have a sense of the exact words that someone was praying the night before. Like some knowledge or something is given to you, revealed to you that you shouldn't know, that you then share with that person. And this would also, um, one reason why I think this is the most likely uh, uh, definition for this is that knowledge in 1 Corinthians, when it's mentioned, is always paired up with prophecy. Uh, later on in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, 8 through 10, and in 14, 6, knowledge is going to be connected directly to prophecy, which functions as this revelatory kind of gift. So it would make sense that message of knowledge is some sort of revealing knowledge that people have. On the other hand, some scholars see this gift as permanent instead of circumstantial. So in other words, God gives you general wisdom and knowledge, and you're able to use those gifts to speak into situations. So maybe nothing supernatural happens, but you hear someone in your community group talking, and you feel like you know what they should do. You feel like you have direction for them, insight for them into something, not from some supernatural thing, but just from your study of scripture and life, and you want to speak into their life. And that would be a message of wisdom and knowledge. And some scholars believe this is more likely because that's kind of the most simplest way of understanding that phrase, right? A message of wisdom or knowledge is something you speak that has wisdom or knowledge in it. Um, So which is it? Is it more circumstantial or is it permanent? Well, if I'm honest, I actually would say both, I think. Um, again, it's, we shouldn't draw these hard lines and definitions between things, especially when Paul doesn't even define it for us. And one thing that I think we can agree is that the Holy Spirit uses both of those things to build up his church, to speak and to move and to work. So whether we define it one way or another, we can point at those things and say these are common ways the Spirit makes his presence known among us. Now, As a side note, Paul is doing something really powerful here. So um, I find it interesting that of all of the gifts, Paul begins with these two gifts, two gifts that are not mentioned really anywhere else in Scripture. And if you've been with us uh, while we've been studying through this letter, then maybe wisdom and knowledge will start to click some things for you. And here's why. is because uh, in the Corinthian church, they actually valued wisdom and knowledge above everything else. In fact, there was a faction in Corinth that was rejecting Paul, opposing the message that he preached. And the primary reason why they were doing so was because they had received some special wisdom and special knowledge that they knew things. They had moved beyond the elementary gospel of Paul. So Paul, by even including this, is probably actually making a counter argument to these people. And here's kind of what he's doing. It's actually brilliant. First, he is reclaiming the language of wisdom and knowledge. So he's saying like, actually, wisdom and knowledge are good gifts from God. There's something from God given to us. And secondly, he then puts wisdom and knowledge on equal footing with all these other ways that the Spirit moves. So he's like, you guys prize wisdom and knowledge, but actually there's a ton of ways the Spirit moves. There's a lot of ways that God works among us. 
And then one of the things that I think is really important and helpful is these people, um, they kind of had this knowledge and wisdom that they kind of kept to themselves. They called it like this secret knowledge that they have. But Paul explicitly, he, he doesn't necessarily call wisdom and knowledge gifts. He calls messages of wisdom and messages of knowledge gifts. So in other words, what makes this a gift, what makes, for instance, knowledge a gift is not what's in your head because that's actually not a spiritual gift. What makes it a gift is when you speak out of that to others, when you speak a word of wisdom and knowledge. So he's even knocking the way that they kind of boasted in themselves with this knowledge and wisdom they had. And it's like, it's actually not helpful to anyone. You're not actually building up the body. You're not actually having messages of wisdom and messages of knowledge. So why do we need this gift in the church? Well, uh, some of it may seem really obvious, but it's helpful to us. Um, Messages of wisdom and knowledge remind us that we have a God of wisdom and knowledge. A God that sees all, a God that knows all. He knows the end from the beginning, and he actually cares about us and speaks into our situation. He actually wants to guide us when we feel stuck in life. He actually wants to speak to us and through us. And another thing is, in particular with these gifts, um, these are gifts that really lead towards uh, repentance in us. Um, We were talking earlier today about a story of uh, Pastor uh, John Wimber. And he tells this story of uh, getting onto a plane and, uh, and he sits down, he boards the plane, sits down, he looks across the aisle and there's a man sitting across the aisle from him and he sees across his face the words adultery and then the name of a woman written across this guy's face. And he's just like, wow, that's strange. Uh, and the guy like sees him like looking at him and is like, what are you looking at? Uh, like, why are you looking at me? And, uh, and Wimber, he, he kind of says like, hey, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Does the name whatever mean anything to you? And the guy just goes like white. Um, and he's like, let's go talk. So they end up going to talk. And, uh, and he's like, how did you hear that name? And, and Wimber's like, well, God told me. And God said, you're actually having an affair with that person. And that if you don't repent, God's actually going to take your life. And he just is shaken and God uses that and brings about repentance in him. Like this man is shaken to the core. Why? Because he knows there's a God who sees him and a God who loves him enough to call him out. And so this man repents. He ends up confessing to his wife and begin following Jesus. God uses these gifts to speak to us. He, he reminds us that he can see us in these gifts. A lot of times it's hard and that's an extreme example, but these are ways that can lead us into repentance. Very similar to like what Paul's gonna mention later in chapter 14 with prophecy where it's like the secrets of their hearts are disclosed and what do they do? They bow before God and worship and they say, God is truly among you. That's what these gifts can actually bring out for us. So messages of wisdom and knowledge The other last gift we'll look at is distinguishing spirits. Distinguishing spirits. So 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to skip down now to verse 10. And it says, To another is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, I've been doing ministry for a while now, um, which means I've had the opportunity to meet a ton of new faces. 
And over the years, there's something that I've noticed. So every so often, not always, just like a handful of times it's happened to me, I meet someone and I get this profound sense of uneasiness. And nothing about the person's appearance or demeanor really has sparked anything, but there's just this intuition of like caution that I have. And sometimes even further, the sense of darkness or evil on a person. And here's what's happened sometimes is uh, uh, sometimes I get that feeling and over time as that person engages with our church for a little bit, something comes out, whether it's some secret sin is exposed or maybe just their pride in seeking opportunity or maybe they're causing division in the church or something darker. So what just happened there? Like, have you ever had anything like that um, that you've experienced? Maybe sometimes people say it's like they have like this check in their spirit. Like there's a lot of times where, especially with our pastors, um, where this is a gift where, um, where we kind of just have this sense, you know, and we're like, there's just this sense that I'm feeling that we just need to speak in name. And maybe it's the opposite where instead of like some sort of darkness, you actually had a profound sense of light, of the presence of God on someone's life. Maybe someone was teaching or preaching, and even though you, uh, you didn't know for sure, you just were like, I feel like God's speaking through that person. I feel like they're speaking truth. So this idea, what I'm describing, is probably what Paul's referring to here when he talks about distinguishing between spirits. And distinguishing here can be, like normally we call this, uh, normally you hear, hear it called discernment, um, which really the word here dis- is distinguishing or judging. And the idea is that you thoroughly weigh something um, and make a determination about it for good or bad. And, uh, and so the idea here is that um, uh, there's a supernatural ability to determine what's coming from the Holy Spirit and what's coming from somewhere else, whether from a person's own spirit or whether from a demonic presence or an evil spirit. And sometimes this gift centers on a person and how they're being influenced for good or bad. And other times, the gift centers on some other activity or some other gift and whether that gift has its origin in the Holy Spirit. So some prime examples of that would be like teaching and prophecy. Uh, In fact, this gift is probably directly tied to prophecy. So later on in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about when prophetic words are given to the church, the church is actually supposed to weigh and judge those words to determine whether they're from God. And it uses very similar wording to what we have here with distinguishing or judging spirits. And so the point is that these people are given this insight into what's going on in the spiritual realm that we don't always see. And these people who have this gift actually serve as like the immune system of the body in the sense of that they can spot spiritual evil and brokenness before it causes too much damage to the rest of the body. Now, there's a word of caution here that I want to say, and really this could go for words of wisdom and knowledge and really probably every single gift that there is that God gives, which because of the subjective nature of these gifts they can easily be abused. And so maybe that intuition you feel actually isn't the gift of uh, discernment or distinguishing spirits, but your own prejudices. Um, Maybe you just got it wrong. 
Maybe you had spicy food and you have indigestion, and that's why you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, so sometimes people with this gift can tend to think that they read every situation right, and we have to be careful of that. Again, and we have to be careful when we're giving wisdom, words of wisdom and words of knowledge, not to assume that everything we say is directly right always. Sometimes we get it wrong, and it takes time and effort to recognize the voice of God in these gifts, and uh, it requires wisdom, maturity, patience, tentativeness. So discernment or distinguishing between spirits is actually a really important gift for the church for a couple of reasons. One is because it reminds us of the spiritual war that is going on around us, that there are spiritual realities happening that we can't see. There are forces for good and forces for evil that are actually influencing us and vying for our attention and our affection. And uh, distinguishing between spirits gives us an insight into that, that like, hey, there are spiritual forces of evil around us, even within the church, even walking through our doors. And we need God's grace to be able to identify and recognize those things. And the second thing is that this is a gift that really protects the church. It's a gift of protection. Um, in fact, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of elders, pastors in the church have this gift because it's a gift of being able to recognize and spot those things. Uh, and again, not to just like, hey, I sent something wrong, you're out of here, but to be able to have an eye and a clue into things that are going on so we can pray to those things, ask God to move and speak in those ways. And really it's a way of God protecting the church protecting the church from evil and enemies that would try to destroy her. Now, so messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, and distinguishing between spirits. Um, so I, I know probably where your mind's going at this point, which is like, uh, it's, it's the spiritual gifts assessment, right? Uh, the checklist, like, do I have these gifts? Uh, who do I know that has, has these gifts? I can't wait to have this conversation later, um, right? Maybe you're like, wisdom, check, knowledge, nah, uh, discernment, I don't really know what that is, so uh, maybe. Um, you know, everyone wants to know what their gifts are, and that's fine. Like, in one respect, that's actually really good, because when we know what our gifts are, we're able to more effectively serve and love the people around us and build them up. But it can be really difficult to know what they are. Um, and we got to embrace that. And so how do we discover what our gifts actually are? Well, you would expect Paul at this point to be like, hey guys, let me give you three points on how to find your spiritual gifts. But he never does that. And the Bible never does that. In fact, the Bible just kind of assumes that you know what your gifts are and how you operate in them. Um, and so I would venture to say that one of the reasons Paul doesn't explicitly address how to discover your spiritual gifts is because you will never find them by stopping and looking within. You're never going to discover your spiritual gifts by sitting at home by yourself. Rather, you will always find them as you step out and love other people because spiritual gifts, what are they again? Let's go back. Spiritual gifts are always the spirit working through you to build up another. So you can't do that just sitting at home taking an assessment. Like you actually have to get out and get your hands dirty and love other people. 
And as you pursue love and as you desire for the spirit to manifest his presence, you're going to begin to see things that you do that build other people up. Maybe you begin longing for wisdom and knowledge and discernment to be happening in the church. Maybe as we work through these other gifts, you're like, man, I really want to see healing and prophecy and teaching and all of these things. As you do that, you're going to start serving people in these ways, and you're going to discover some things that the Spirit uses to build others up. So for example, as you're pursuing after love, you may lay hands on someone and ask for healing. As you pursue love, you may try to listen to the Spirit for a message of wisdom or knowledge. As you pursue love, you may get your hands dirty and serve. As you pursue love, you may ask the Spirit to help you in discerning what's going on in a situation and distinguishing between spirits and having insight. As you pursue love, you may pray for a miracle to happen. In other words, if you're actively walking in love, you're going to try to seek to build others up. And as you do so, sometimes it's going to flop. Sometimes you're going to try to encourage someone and they're going to punch you in the nose because uh, you did not say anything encouraging, right? Sometimes it's going to flop, but sometimes you're going to see the Spirit work through you. And when you start seeing those things, you may see him start working through you regularly through something. And then you now have insight into, I think this is how the Spirit wants to use me. I think this is how the Spirit wants to work in me to build up others. Um, in particular, as we're walking these out, there's five things I think are helpful for us to maybe think through as we're, as we're working through this, as we're trying to love other people that can give us insight into these things. So the first thing is evidence of edification. Evidence of edification. So gifts of the Spirit are ways in which the Holy Spirit works through us to build others up. So questions we should ask are, how is the Holy Spirit working through me for the common good? Like, what are things that I'm doing that others feel encouraged by? Like, what is the evidence of building up? Because that's what these things are. Second thing is passions and burdens. So a lot of times, um, the Spirit will actually align our gifts with the passions and burdens that He has placed on our hearts already. So a good question to ask with this is, what makes you righteously angry? What do you want to fix? Where do you long to serve? a lot of times these things are going to line up. Third thing is sovereign circumstances. So we have to look at where God has placed us because he tends to put us in places where our gifts are most active. So we can ask, God, where am I? What, where have you placed me? What are the circumstances around me? And get insight and clue into what those gifts are. Fourth thing is clarity from community. And this is one of the best things and one of the hardest things. And that's, hey, what do those closest to you see as your gifts? There's nothing more awkward than someone who thinks they're gifted in something when they're not, right? And you have to be the one to tell them. Uh, and it's like, hey, I know you're pursuing that, but really I think it should be something else. Um, but what's helpful is we oftentimes can't see ourselves as well as other people can see us. And if these are things that people are built up, they're going to have better insight into it than us anyway. Because these are not just things we're good at. These are ways that the Spirit works through us and manifests His presence. 
So we can ask other people, what do you see as my gifts? What do you see in me? And this points to a culture of blessing that we need to have to where we actually recognize the Holy Spirit working through people and we actually call that out and affirm those things when we see them. Um, The last thing on this, number five, just do it. Just do it. Spiritual gifts are ways that we love others. And the Bible encourages us to seek and pursue ways to love other people. And as we do this, spiritual gifts are going to come up and, uh, and come out. God is not saying, well, you know, don't love that person because you're not gifted to meet them where they need. It's like, just love people. Just love people and serve them and care for them. Just do it, and these things are going to come out. So Sam Storm sums it up. He puts it great. He, uh, he says this. So look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert for a cry for help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. Identify someone's weakness and overcome it. Look for what's missing and supply it. When you do, the power of God, the energizing, enabling, charismatic activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you, perhaps once, but possibly forever, to minister hope and encouragement to those in need. So if you're still wondering what your gifts might be, act first and ask later. I think that's really helpful advice. Like, Let's just do it. Let's get after loving and serving one another and being a culture of blessing. And you're going to do way more to discover your gifts through that than any assessment will ever give you. So the most important thing that you can do is to serve and love the people around you. And really, it's crucial for us to live in community, again, as we've said, because you're never going to be able to figure these things out on your own. So as we wrap this up, just a couple things uh, uh, just as where we go from here. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may just be asking like, hey, what does this sermon have anything to do with me? Uh, right? You're like, what's, what's going on with this? Well, here's what I want you to see is that um, these gifts, they show us a few things that are really important. And one of the things they show us is that we have a father who doesn't leave us on our own. Like we have a father who actually desires to help us, who actually cares about us, who gives us the spirit as a helper. In all of these gifts, every single one of these gifts, the one we mentioned today and the ones we're going to be talking about in the future, all of these gifts point us to God's generosity, his goodness, and his love and care for us in the church. And these are ways that God is showing that he's among us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, then, uh, then all of this is pointing to who God is. Like God's not someone who just kind of sets the world spinning and pushes it off, but he's actually someone deeply involved in our lives and in our worlds. And he actually knows us and loves us and wants us to know him and follow him. If you're a follower of Jesus, then my encouragement to you is, hey, we actually need these gifts in the church today. Like, we need messages of wisdom. We need messages of knowledge. We need distinguishing between spirits. And so would you commit to pray for our church and pray and desire these things? Desire that these things would be in our church? Maybe even pray for God to give them to you. 
Like maybe what we can do, one of the best things we could do is maybe spend the week just asking God, if you will, I'm willing to receive these gifts. Would you use me to build others up? So let's pray and desire to walk in them. And because the reality is, again, if we go back to it, this is the way the Spirit makes his presence known among us. And later on, Paul's going to begin using this analogy of the body. And if we don't have these things, we're actually kind of handicapped. We're hindered. And God is actually pouring out these gifts for us, for our good, so that he could be known among us. So let's pray and ask for God to give these things to us. Would you stand with me to wrap this up? We're going to come to this meal of communion. And on the night before Jesus uh, died, he uh, took, he sat with his disciples and had a meal. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is my blood, which is shed for you. And in, in taking this meal, there's a couple of things that are really helpful to remember. One is that this meal, communion, is actually a, a meal of grace where we remember the gift of God for us. That God actually gave himself, that Jesus laid down his life, his body was broken, his blood was shed to actually give us himself and his presence. And also we can remember in this meal that this itself is a meal of presence, that God promises through this meal to actually meet with us and empower us and strengthen our faith. So as we eat this meal as followers of Jesus, let's again receive the gift of God uh, of his presence and grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, then I would just encourage you, don't take this meal. There are gonna be prayers on the screen we'd invite you to pray through. And this meal is ultimately a meal of faith that recognizes the gift that God's given us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, the call for you today is actually to do some work with God and ask him to meet you where you are. Ask him to speak to you and receive him today. Run to him and trust in him. But followers of Jesus, whenever you're ready, come grab bread and wine and let's get in smaller groups. Let's take this meal together and remember the grace and gifts of God.